Welcome to the podcast. I appreciate you for being here. Before we listen to my next guest, I want to ask that if you like the podcast, please subscribe to the channel and leave a positive review so we can grow this channel. I've been working really hard for you guys to grow by putting systems in place that bring on guests who are very valuable to you. And I'm just going to be honest, it hasn't been an easy ride. So I would certainly appreciate your support. Also, let me know your thoughts by texting me at 714-294-0269. Again, 714-294-0269. Zero two six nine. Last time, seven one four two nine four zero two six nine. To ask about details and to receive future podcasts directly to your cell phone. Let's continue with the podcast. All right, all right. So I'm here uh, with Brent, uh, and uh, I just I'm happy that you're on here. He owns uh, Inspirato, uh, which is a uh, destination club. Am I correct in saying that? It's a, a way to uh, get experiences and, and go to um, hotels and, and, and uh, in a club where you, there's no nightly rates or anything like that. Is that, am I explaining that? I, I, I think you do a better job of explaining exactly uh, your value. Sure. Yeah. yeah, sure. Thanks Thanks for having me. Inspirato is a luxury travel platform. Um, we have two ways that our affluent customer base um, can travel with the company. The first business, which is a, um, a membership, Inspirato was founded in, um, we launched in 2011. So we have a membership with about 15,000 members. And the way our membership works is you pay a one-time initiation fee of $20,000 and you pay an annual fee of $3,700 per year, and then you pay for nightly rates, and Inspirato is very unique in that we take long-term risk on residential inventory. So think about luxury homes in Hawaii or Aspen or Vail that are not necessarily associated with a hotel, and then we manage and, and take care of those homes and provide an experience for our customer that is what they would get if they went to a Four Seasons or a Ritz-Carlton hotel. That's only available to members. Only members are able to travel in our homes. We have over a billion dollars of inventory that we manage and control. And members also get a whole suite of other services like um, access to our travel planners and on-site concierge and travel experiences like we take members down to the masters and we um, obviously just have a very high-end, very um, curated travel opportunity for, uh, for those customers. So that's our membership product. Wow, I like it. So it's $20,000 and then $3,700 per year. And then you, and then, uh, yeah. yeah, and then you just pay for when you travel. Now in July of this year, so roughly seven, eight months ago, we launched the first ever travel subscription, true travel subscription. That's called Inspirato Pass. Okay. And Inspirato Pass is endless travel for $2,500 a month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. And it's a product that is separate and distinct from membership. It's as simple as it sounds. You pay $2,500 a month. There is a six-month commitment. So you make $2,500 payment, and then you don't pay for any of your actual travel. 
it uses this proprietary algorithm that we built where we make available over 150,000 trips that are everything ranging from those homes that I just talked about to luxury hotels to African safaris. Um, all of that is available to pass holders with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. And the way it works is the same way that the original uh, Netflix subscription works, which is as soon as you make a reservation, you, you travel. Let's say I make a reservation today to go to Hawaii in a month. Right. The day I check out of my next reservation, the day I check out of Hawaii, I can book my next reservation. So you can only have one active reservation at a time. Um, so, and you can make a reservation as early as one week in advance. And whatever you choose, you choose, you don't pay for. The day you check out, you book your next trip. I love that. Okay. And uh, so, you know, what would the cost be if, for instance, um, somebody was doing a, a, a trip every every month? Like, would it normally like be a lot more than twenty five hundred dollars? Like, would it be somewhere in the in the range of like ten thousand to twenty thousand if they were going to some of these places? Right, that's a great question. Um, it really depends on what people choose and how flexible they are. But the majority of our pass holders are doubling their value um, over the life of their subscription. So if, if they paid $30,000 a year for a travel subscription with Inspirato Pass, um, the vast majority of pass holders are generating over $60,000 of value. And the reason why, it's important to understand why, the reason why is because travel is a high fixed cost, low variable cost type of business. Like think about what's happening today with the current um, coronavirus challenge, right? right? So people are canceling trips and the hotel's costs are the same, whether they have somebody in the room or whether they don't have somebody in the room. Those 350 homes that I just mentioned, same thing with us, if somebody is traveling versus not traveling, basically there's tiny variable expense as a percentage of the overall cost. So why Inspirato Pass is able to provide consumers with so much value is because when we go to our hotel partners and we ask them to give us um, inventory, they realize that we're doing it in what's called an opaque manner, which means we don't share the price with anybody. And because there's no price, it's not uncommon for us to get $1,000 hotel rooms for $250 because the hotel's alternative is to have the hotel room sit empty. And so we provide this safe um, distribution mechanism for luxury hotels that previously just didn't exist. It just was not at all possible under any sort of circumstance. Non-luxury hotels are able to use Expedia and Booking.com and other types of distribution, but you'll never see a five-star luxury hotel um, showing a distressed rate. So we've yeah. been really well received by the hotel um, and by the kind of industry because we provide a mechanism for them to be able to make this inventory available without having to lower the price. We then pass all of that savings on to our pass holders and everybody ends up um, in a really good situation. 
Oh, wow. So you're just facilitating all those relationships and then passing them on to uh, the customers. Um, so Right. We, we've created essentially a marketplace um, through a subscription. So anybody can go to inspirato.com. You don't have to register or anything. Click the button that says pass. Click the button that says homes and hotels. Start doing searches. And you're either going to see... Um, you're either going to see our partners, our luxury partners, or you'll see Inspirato controlled inventory. But either way, your price that you're typically going to pay if you did it on your own versus the amortized cost of your subscription would be much, much higher. It's not uncommon for someone to book something. I'll just give you a simple example. Someone could book something three months in advance, so their subscription would cost them $7,500, three months times $2,500 a month for a trip that's worth fifteen dollars to $25,000 on the open market. That's wow. pretty much available all the time. So do you work with like uh, hotels like the Hotel Irvine or the Terranea? Uh, do you work with hotel? So Terranea, Terranea is a long-term partner. I don't think we have Hotel Irvine. We have um, Pelican Hill, which is also owned by the Irvine companies. Oh, wow. um, it's a luxury resort in um, I, yeah, I in Newport it. Beach. Yeah. So if you went on Inspirato Pass, for example, you'd see that we have multiple uh, two-bedroom residential product on Inspirato Pass, and we also have. Um, their uh, cabanas, which is the, the, the term I believe they use for their um, uh, for their rooms. So it's um, it's, it's everything from um, five star city hotels to luxury beach destinations. You know, places like One and Only in in Palmia and Cabo would be um, on the list. Wow. Um, uh, there's there's literally 200 destinations. Um, and over 150,000 choices. Wow, that's uh, that's amazing. Um, okay, so can I? I, I would like to take uh, you know uh, us back to like your early beginnings. Like, what what was the inspiration behind starting this company? Well, I started a company before this called Exclusive Resorts, which is also a luxury travel company. And um, my partner in that business was Steve Case, the founder of AOL. And post the financial crisis, um, I left and um, started Inspirato in 2010. It took a year to kind of put it all together and launched January 1st, 2011. And I, you know, created the company based on this belief that affluent consumers would want the service and certainty of staying at a five-star hotel, a Ritz-Carlton or a Four Seasons, something like that, but also want the benefits and size and uh, flexibility of being in a, in a home. And, you know, that never really existed unless you bought that directly from a brand, which can be remarkably expensive. We're talking, you know, three, four, five, six thousand dollars a night, just crazy. Wow. And so because yeah. the... Um, built out all of our own infrastructure and hired all of our own concierge in the local destinations and managed all of the housekeeping and all of the administration, we were basically able to replicate this five-star experience for people without having to, um, uh, you know, sort of like 
test the waters on a VRBO or home away where there's, you know, basically that's vacation roulette at the high end. Those platforms work really well, not in the high end, but in the high end, you just have no idea what you're getting and there's no real service envelope or certainty around it. So um, that was really the impetus for starting Inspirato, which was in... Uh, 2011, and basically we wanted to make this affordable, make it very flexible, um, not something that costs, you know, millions of dollars like buying your own vacation home or hundreds of thousands of dollars like buying, uh, you know, into a fractional residence club. So that was really the, the inspiration. I love it. I love it. Okay. And, um, and right now, do you mind if I ask you how many employees you have currently? Um, we have, uh, over 600. I don't know the exact amount, but somewhere okay. between 600 and 650. Okay. So that's great. So I'll ask you about that in, in, in a moment. Um, but I, I, I want to kind of get an idea as to how you've scaled your process because, you know, people that are, who are listening to our podcast are, I'll just, just to give you an idea of our audience, right? So we have, uh, yeah. CEOs that want to scale. Also, we have investors, uh, VC investors, family offices that listen to the podcast. We have, um, you know, all types of, uh, of people in, in kind of your target market that listen to this podcast specifically. Um, so, but really, it's all about scaling. Like, we want to help everyone, by the way. You know, so it doesn't matter if you have. You know, zero employees, one employee. We want to help you scale to, uh, to, to a level. You know that uh, that Brent has. So, can you tell me what your sales process looks like? How are you finding these high net worth individuals, and how are you scaling that process? Sure. Um, you know, obviously, we're uh, a consumer facing business that has a target audience of the um, highly affluent. So we're not really able to do um, traditional broad scale advertising the same way just a traditional um, consumer business would. Um, that being said, we've become very sophisticated in our um, uh, in our uh, marketing funnel and in how we're able to identify um, uh, cost effective ways to. Um, uh, generate new business. So obviously the first is through referrals and making sure that we have really high um, NPS, um, uh, you know, which kind of hovers around the net promoter score, which hovers right around um, 70, which is very high for a any brand, but very high for a consumer travel brand. And the happier we make our customers, the more they refer. Referrals close at 10x what a traditional lead would close at. So we're very focused on that. Um, we also have a mix of um, primarily uh, three different types of lead generation. We use social media, Facebook and Instagram primarily. They're extremely efficient for us. Um, we also do television advertising, but very specifically. So some of the financial networks we advertise on the Golf Channel, um, some of the um, television uh, programs that, that obviously cater to um, a higher demo. And then believe it or not, we still use direct mail. So we can uh, get very targeted in direct mail. And um, that is able, you know, that helps us 
um, obviously be able to um, generate new leads. And then in terms of catching the leads, we have a Salesforce for new customers. This is for people who are not existing, you know, Inspirato customers of nearly a hundred people who um, field in new leads, which are many hundreds a day that we receive, and then work those, um, you know, work those leads, explain to prospective um, Inspirato customers the benefits of traveling with us, and um, you know, that's basically how our um, you know how our sales funnel, how our sales funnel works. So essentially, you're doing you're doing a lot of things. You're doing social media. Um, you're you're trying to nurture those leads, but also what you're doing is you're providing such a great customer experience that people want to refer you consistently. Um, and that's but but the problem. The, so the challenge is the, the what I, what I see is like once you start scaling, how do you maintain that customer experience? Because I know that. You know, you're sometimes, you know, as a CEO, you could sometimes be far removed from the customer. And so how are you like, how are you making sure that that customer experience is amazing still? Um, you know, it's, it's just not something that we take for granted here. We have yeah. um, a very, very sophisticated, experienced staff on um dealing with all types of customer interaction, both the positive interaction, uh, which is, of course, the majority of time and the negative interact, uh, you know, interactions when something doesn't, um, doesn't go well. We respond to every survey that is sent to us by a traveler. We respond to all of our social media. Um, you know, we have a big staff of people in the, our organization that we call CARE. There's a couple hundred people that work at the company that do nothing but make sure that they're delighting their customers. And if something got off the beaten path, we make sure that, um, you know, we, we, put it, we put it back on the straight and narrow. Do you feel like a lot of like companies, company owners, CEOs do not focus, do not have a heavy emphasis on customer service? I feel like you're either a huge believer in customer service or you aren't. Um, and obviously the people that aren't like, like investing heavily in customer service. And by that, I, I mean, what I mean is like you can see clearly that they believe in customer service, meaning they're investing heavily into customer service. Um, like, do you feel like that's a huge mistake for a lot of these growing companies uh, that they're just not because it's one thing to say we need to provide a great customer experience. But it's another thing like actually pulling out your checkbook and like investing in the customer experience. Um, so, like, do you feel like it's a huge mistake? Do you feel like not enough companies are really, really focused, uh, more focused on the customer uh, customer service? I mean, I think it really depends on the industry. I would say, you know, our our competitive set would be Four Seasons, Ritz-Carlton, Rosewood, Auberge, Amman Resorts. And I would say all of those companies, as well as ourselves, um, really do focus on the customer experience and um, you know, our guests having an incredible time and quick recovery if something were to go wrong. I mean, we're, you know, our average house is worth over $4 million. So you can imagine that, 
things break or the pool heater doesn't work or what have you and you know making sure that we proactively and and very aggressively solve problems for people while they're spending time with family and friends is you know super important so I'd say we do an excellent job of it, but I, I would also say our competitive set does an excellent job of it. I would say there's obviously going to be a difference, you know, in, a, in an industry everybody could relate to. Like, there should be a difference between, say, um, Nordstrom and maybe Macy's or something like that. And um, you might say that, you know... That's going to show up in the that's going to show up in the price tag, right? Of what you're gonna what you're gonna pay for something. Um, but in the end, let me. I think I can say it more succinctly. There are no luxury brands in the world that don't provide great service. That's not a thing. Absolutely. So we're a luxury brand, and we provide great service. Absolutely. And uh, do you feel that? Um, you know, in your experience, because of that, more of like there's a more of a barrier to entry. Do you feel that uh, kind of cut down on potential revenue uh, that you would generate? Or do you feel like it, it doesn't matter because at the end of the day, your brand is so strong that people will pay the extra money to um, to be able to be part of this? Hmm. It's a good question. I. I just don't think we think about it that way. I don't think we... Um, I like that. I love that. I, I don't think we even know the answer to that. Like, I, I always joke with friends of mine or, um, you know, investors and others, but, like, there's no... You cannot... You can't half-ass um, luxury service. You eat, It's like the the John Hamm Mercedes, uh, previously owned Mercedes uh, commercial, it either is or it isn't. There isn't like a halfway. So yeah. when you, you know, if you were to look at, I mean, I promise you if a, if a production hotel um, were to look at, say, a, you know, say a Hyatt were to look at the operating expense lines of Inspirato, it would like, you know, somebody would like tear their hair out because we spend incredible amounts of money that no one else spends. I'll just give you the most simplistic example. It is not an industry standard when you stay in a residential product to have daily housekeeping. That's not an industry standard. So you can't like really go on home away and have daily housekeeping. They, they wouldn't even know how to do it. Um, where within Sporado, it's a standard. Every house has daily housekeeping, no matter what. It's not a standard to have a concierge employed by the company full-time on a ratio of about one to three houses. So think about if you were to stay with Inspirato and you were going to Aspen, okay? You're staying at a big freestanding house. You might get a phone number to call, right? Or you might get a property manager to speak to, but you're definitely not having somebody show up at your house, explain how the hot tub works, walk you through the kitchen, show you where the, you know, the forks and the knives are. That level of service um, is just kind of embedded in the Inspirato experience. Why we're able to make pass so affordable is because the arbitrage around occupancy and value is so big. So in all of our big houses, if we're only running 60% occupancy with our normal membership, that means 40% of the time they're not used. 
if I can take that 40% and allow pass holders to travel at incredible value, same with our hospitality partners. If they, ha they run 65% occupancy in Cabo or Aspen or wherever, and they give me the other 35% at incredible value, I've now opened up luxury travel for a whole new audience that never could have been able to travel like this in the past. I mean, it's not uncommon with PASS that one or two trips pays for your whole year. And that just speaks to the inefficiency around occupancy and the high, high, high cost, um, fixed cost of, uh, you know, having the, these types of assets um, that you're paying for 365 days a year. So let me ask you, how old is this company now? Well, I guess we just turned um, nine, right? Because we launched on, no, we just turned eight. Because we just we launched January first, two thousand and eleven, and it was just January first, two thousand and twenty. So I think that makes us nine. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm five years old. I don't have five hundred employees, six hundred employees, uh, but <laughs> but we'll we'll work to get there. <laughs> um, so th this is great. I, I love it. I, I love you know me me and my wife travel um, uh, every year. And uh, she's always wanting to travel. We have we're expecting a baby in April, so uh, not going to be traveling. Oh, congratulations! Oh, thank you, thank you. Uh, so not going to be traveling uh, until maybe six months from now. Uh, but can you can you break down? Um, you know, when you were initially starting this company, and you didn't have a, a, a brand that uh, permeated into the marketplace. Can you tell me? Like how you were selling these, these these packages and how you were getting a hold of these high net worth because initially you didn't really have the network or maybe you did have that I don't know but you didn't have the the brand that could easily you know be sold to potential clients so what what were you doing initially like in the, in, in the early stages of your company we um, you know we built a portfolio we went out and got great properties now I'm talking 2011. And we, um, you know, advertised. Back then, we actually did some print advertising. It sounds crazy to say, but that was only nine years ago. But there used to be this thing called the Wall Street Journal that people would advertise in um, that was a physical piece of paper. Uh, we did some of that. Um, we did some direct mail. And, you know, ultimately, people chose to um, be part of Inspirato because they thought that they could vacation better with family and friends. And, um, you know, they, they, they made an analysis of what are my alternatives, right? I can either play vacation roulette and go to, back then it was VRBO, right? Because Airbnb wasn't really a thing in 2011. Um, or I could go stay at a branded villa of a five-star hotel and pay an arm and a leg. And, um, you know, enough people said, We'll take, we'll take a shot. We'll try this Inspirato concept. It seems like there's a void there. And, you know, it's, it always feels like you, you've used the word scale a couple of times, but it, it feels like scale and growth is, um, steady and up to the right, but it definitely is not. It, it definitely is 
just grinding every single day and having weeks, months, even years of backpedaling and scrapping and fighting and, you know, kind of learning when to, um, you know, learning when to draft into a tailwind and learning how to properly um, prepare yourself and um, inoculate yourself from headwinds. And it just, sometimes I look back at 2011 when we started and, you know, we actually, my brother uh, was my partner in this business and I started in his uh, loft actually. And, you know, with no, no employees, just me and him. And, um, you know, it's like you hire some people and they're able to help and you figure some things out along the way. And we're still doing that today. We still, we still innovate today. We figure things out. We make them better. We test quickly and rapidly. We're big believers in technology. We very much believe that we're a technology company, particularly with PASS. When you look at the difficulty and the uh, amount of sophistication that's gone into building the algorithm and um, allowing our business to scale. So it's never just, there is no overnight success. I, I mean, there, maybe there is. I shouldn't say there. I'm sure there were. I've never seen it. I've never seen that. It's For me, it's been, I've been doing this, if you count exclusive resorts, for 17 years and it's always fun and it's always rewarding. But I have ne- I, I'm waiting for my first easy day. Yeah, it's very hard. Business is definitely hard. Would you recommend uh, business to your children? Well, I have one who graduated, who graduated from college, and he uh, just started actually um, his real world job. He works for a large uh, consulting company. He just started um, two days ago, or yesterday. Today's Tuesday. Started yesterday. But he's very entrepreneurial. He's already got his own, you know, little um, kind of. Uh, uh, he has has a travel business. Um, he has his hands in a handful of other businesses that he wants to start. So uh, I think my kids all have this entrepreneurial bug because they've um, grown up around it. I think for the right people. Um, being an entrepreneur is the most rewarding, fun uh, kind of life and lifestyle that you could ever expect. But, you know, you have to invest in steel underpants because it's just much, much, much uh, yeah. harder than people think. And the ebbs and flows and the ups and downs are, um, you know, really extreme. And I think, you know, today, 2020, we live in a, a world that's very um, polarizing around entrepreneurs. On one hand, they're sort of um, looked up to and thought of as, you know, superheroes and as, uh, you know, almost like famous people, which really wasn't the case, let's say, 20 years ago. And at the same time, you know, a lot of self-made entrepreneurs and billionaires, of which I'm nowhere in that stratosphere. I'm just more pointing out the current political climate of there being like a lot of animosity almost towards um, entrepreneurs that have had a lot of success in their 
um, you know, in their careers. So it's definitely not something that everybody agrees on, but I think for the right personality, and it sounds like you're, you're in the same boat, um, there's, no, there's no going to work when you're an entrepreneur. There's just, like, it's, it's, it's just part of you. You can't, you can't part and parcel where work starts and where you end. Well, the, the way I see it is, like, it, th this is fun, for for me, I'm sure it's fun for you, but from the outside looking in, it doesn't look very fun. <laughs> like from some from an outside perspective, like looking in to what like people have to do on a daily basis who are entrepreneurs is it doesn't look pretty. Uh, let's just put it that way. <laughs> so um, so for you, um, have you uh, like? Can you tell me you know one of those moments where it was really really difficult for you? Um, to kind of give the audience a perspective on uh, how it can be? Well, it's pretty difficult right now. Um, you know, we're a luxury travel company in the midst of a major global um, coronavirus. Kind of, yeah, you know, uh, health and travel issue. Um, so, you know, making sure that we're investing for the long term in the right ways but not being frivolous and short-sighted around um, any type of decisions that we make in the short term if we think that they'll have long-term effects um, you know it's very you know this is a challenging environment we have lots of exposure in Italy for example um, but you know historically um, I, you know, lived through the financial crisis in 2008. That's right when my previous company, Exclusive Resorts, you know, had scaled hundreds of employees and thousands of customers and, um, you know, having to navigate through um, the Great Recession was, was obviously uh, very challenging. It's a little bit like climbing, uh, hiking. You know, we like to hike as a family and um, we do a couple of these uh, bigger hikes that take, you know, at least bigger for me, you know, they take about three hours. And if you just get to the top and look down, you just can't even believe that you accomplished what you accomplished. And if you're standing at the bottom and looking up, it just feels like it's way too big uh, a challenge. And, and it's, it's a cliche, but it really, it's three hours of one step, one foot in front of the other and one step at a time. And then ultimately you, you know, find yourself, um, you know, done. And I think being an entrepreneur and sort of battling through all of these challenges that we all face, um, you know, you just, you just take them piece by piece and you recognize that there's going to be good things that happen and bad things that happen. You make right decisions and wrong decisions. There's good things that help you from a macro perspective. There's bad things that happen from a macro perspective. And it's just like the weight of hundreds of thousands of decisions over the period of decades, you know, typically is what separate, you know, really successful entrepreneurs and, and, and ones that aren't. I love it. I love it. Um, did you did you feel at some point that you were like when you first started this company? You you've been in business for like 
this this company specifically is like seven, eight years old, but you've been in business for like 17 years? Well, I've been in the luxury travel business for 17 years. This business is actually 10 years old. Okay. The first year was putting it together and the last nine were operating. Got it. Okay. And did you feel like, did you ever feel like you would get to this level? Or did you feel, I mean, it was just a constant struggle and you just, you didn't know where this was going. And then you just kept, you know, pushing forward and eventually it came, it all came together. Yeah, see, I don't, I don't even think about like, you use the word, I'll just repeat back to you, this level. I still think of the business as being very small, um, very much growing. We, we've, we've now created a new category called subscription travel. It didn't exist prior to us. Um, we've got some patent pending technology on that. We feel like our next 10 years um, are going to be dwarf what we've built so far. We think just like people today consume um, music and video um, and uh, I just read, I just saw an article that uh, Starbucks is working on a coffee subscription. I guess one of the other, um, I can't remember what the, their name is, one of the other bakery coffee places just released a subscription. You've got Rent the Runway that's a subscription. Um, I think subscription travel is a super obvious uh, macro trend and I think we're just at the very beginning of it and I think we can be important um, in that conversation. So I don't ever think of it like, wow, I'm here, look at what we've accomplished. I'm, I'm just not wired that way. I'm much more wired about why is this not working? How can we do this better? Let's yeah. improve this. And it's just, I don't know. I think I'm not unique in that regard. I think all entrepreneurs just um, think that way. But I literally have not given a, a second thought, a second of thought to did I ever, you know, think I would get this um, yeah, and, and every day you think there's a lot, there's a lot of uh, runway, uh, and you feel like there's a lot of uh, growth that can be accomplished. And um, you know, it, it, you know, imagine where I am today, three years ago, is is hard. It would probably be hard for me to imagine then uh, where I am now. But at the same time, I feel like I'm I haven't accomplished much. Um, to some, uh, it's true. So that's kind of how you feel. <laughs> Even it. Yeah, I think that's I think that's pretty universal for um, I think that's true for for most for most entrepreneurs. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. Okay, so um, have you did, like you know? You, it seems like you've grown pretty quickly. Um, now, obviously, you don't you don't you, you don't like to give yourself credit for like the level of uh, the business that you built. But did you did you ever get investors at some point? Um, uh, initially to, to invest in your company or was this something just organic? Oh no, we've, we've raised, um, we've raised just under a hundred million dollars of outside capital. So our big investors are Kleiner Perkins, which is, you know, one of the very large, uh, venture funds, you know, famous for Google among others. And, IVP, which is Institutional Venture Partners, which is, um, you know, arguably the most successful late stage uh, venture capital firm. Um, and then, you know, another, you know, group of very high end, sophisticated late stage investors 
um, that over the course of from 2010 through 2016, we you know uh, took in roughly 90-ish uh, million dollars of outside capital. So we definitely had to take outside capital in order to yeah. you know build the, build the platform. You know the business is profitable today. Um, which is a little unusual for a company that's still growing at our um, uh, at our rate, um, but we have uh, we purposefully muted growth to uh, make sure that we're disciplined in the current environment around um, you know profitability and 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 being responsible, um, not really in this kind of the post WeWork world of you know growth at all costs. So. Uh, we're still growing, but profitable and, um, you know, very thoughtful about um, where we invest our capital, which is primarily in um, technology and infrastructure, um, as well as customer acquisition. I love that. I love that. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, who kind of have grown organically, some people, give or take, like maybe uh, I would say 50% of CEOs are opposed to getting an investment. And I was kind of like that. Um, but then at the same time, um, you know, having a 10% of a billion is, is better than having half of a million, you know, or a or 100% of a million, right? Um, right. And so, uh, so I feel like people should be open to investors, but I think that the distinction should be made between bad investors People you don't want investing in your company, great investors. Would you agree with that? I would. I mean, obviously, um, everybody has to make capital decisions and structural decisions on their on their own. I, there are a handful of, of great businesses that were built with no outside capital. That's really rare. Most businesses, in order to grow... Um, you know, you have to invest ahead of revenue, so you end up, um, you know, taking taking investors. So uh, I'd say that the capital raising process is highly efficient. It doesn't feel efficient when you're going through it, but um, you know, Warren Buffett has this saying about you get the investors that you deserve, and I think that there's you know real truth to that. I think great companies typically have, there's outliers, great companies, private companies have great investors. And if you're really struggling to raise capital, um, you know, you have to take a look internal and ask yourself why. Because the great capital will uh, invest in the great companies the majority of the time. Got it. So so you're saying that if you're not, you're, you're having trouble in the capital raising process, that it's more so how you've uh, structured your company, maybe there's things you need to look at internally regarding how attractive your offering is pretty much and how attractive your company or is. You're just, or you're just too early. The, the more, yeah, yes, if, you're, if you've been around for 10 years, yes. But if, you know, if you're four months old and you have a great concept, it's just an awesome new subscription concept or an awesome new widget, and you think that the market potential is amazing and you believe you can create a competitive moat for your idea because of whatever reason and you feel like it's validated and you just keep getting no, 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 which all entrepreneurs have gotten 
then you just have to, um, you know, you have to lower your expectation on uh, valuation and you have to lower your expectation on, you know, it might be Aunt Millie or Cousin Johnny or your next door neighbor, Fred. Like, it's, you know, like my first company in the travel sector, um, exclusive resorts, I mean, literally when they say friends and family, it was literally friends and family. It was my next door neighbor. It was my mom. It was, you know because those were the only people that would actually give me any money. So we believe at some in you, level, we believe in you. <laughs> I mean, it's a little better now, but it's still hard to raise money. And it's always hard to raise money, no matter what. Is it ever, like once you do raise money, is it ever prudent to, it's not prudent to stop looking for, for capital, right? It's not prudent. Oh, I wouldn't say that's true. I think you go through phases. Like if you're a company and let's just say, you know, you just raised a million dollars and that million dollars funds your business for the next, let's just call it three years. Um, you know, I would say you can take the next year and stay active in the community and maybe go to one or two events per year. I think it's much more likely that the opposite happens for young entrepreneurs, meaning they get enamored with the notion of raising capital. So even though they don't need capital, if you did an audit of how they spend their time, 40% of their year was going to investor conferences and networking with investors when they could have been, you know, grinding it out and working on the operations and on the marketing and on the value creation of the actual business. So I don't, I, I don't really, you know, think I don't subscribe to the issue that you're to, to the theory that you're always raising money. And I actually think too many people think that they always have to raise money. And there's a lot of founders who spend too little time raising, you know, uh, too little time operating their business. Yeah. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying. Uh, and they, they take the focus off what really matters is getting clients, client acquisition, customer retention, all these things, employee retention. Um, yeah, 100% agree. Okay. So if, if somebody wants to potentially subscribe to your service or they want to uh, get in contact with you in some fashion, uh, how would they do so? Um, just visit inspirado.com and um, everything is available. You can see everything on the web and, um, you know, ha ha have a look. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for doing the podcast. I want to ask you something uh, right after we stop the recording. Uh, but uh, thank you so much for doing this podcast. I think people are going to gain a lot of insight from this. And, you know, maybe you, you'll have some people that uh, sign on to the service. I think uh, I think it's a, it seems like a great service. I haven't used it myself. I probably will, you know, very soon. Uh, but haven't, uh, um, you, you know, I hope hopefully you get some subscribers from this and you know, from what I hear, it's, it's, it's great. So uh, let's talk uh, very soon and hopefully we can do another podcast.